0: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection. Convenient installation options and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Michelin Cross Climate 2. But did you know they sell other automotive products—wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com/slash Colin TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. With
1: the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at welshfargo.com slash activecash. What's going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast, brought to you live. Not exactly live, recorded because it's a podcast by Colin Coward and the Herd Podcast Network. We're close to football. I got a lot coming up today on the rule changes on Josh Allen, who looks fantastic with the Buffalo Bills. And, and you know, i got to touch on Jimmy Garoppolo because he looks pretty sweet too and how Bill Belichick might be feeling. But i, I got to start off with this. The show is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek, football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets for every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, you can find the perfect gift SeatGeek helps you Find the best seats at the best prices. And best of all, it's fully guaranteed. I've used SeatGeek many times for myself, for my friends and family. I've got tickets to March Madness when it came. I live in the Bay Area by Sacramento. I've got tickets to baseball games here in this area. It's very, very simple. You just download the app. You can search. It searches by price points, searches by games, has concerts. It is very, very easy to use. SeatGeek has plenty of seats available to everything you want to use. And again, it is fully guaranteed. I have the app on my phone. And best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code JOHN. That's J-O-H-N today. That's promo code JOHN for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. One thing everyone has been just freaking out on recently are the NFL rules and the rule changes to hitting, you know, where you have to put your head. Everyone's getting flagged for what looks to be just a basic football tackle, whether you're in the NFL or peewee football. You just, your head is before your shoulders, and it's basically impossible, even if you keep your head up, to avoid leading with your helmet. So I get why players are freaking out. I uh, get why social media freaks out. I also blame myself. I I, I freak out. But I, I think everyone is, and the smart people are not freaking out. They understand what's coming and they adapt. And you, you see this all the time. When something crazy happens, and I, I wouldn't say this is crazy because there has been a gradual change. This is business. The NFL was getting crushed in lawsuits. They were spending an astronomical amount of money. Parents were, and still are, I think, in certain areas of the country, not allowing their children to play football. It was a major big-picture business problem for the NFL. They had to adapt, and they've attempted to. Now, it pisses a lot of us off, including myself. I like violence. I've seen the numbers on NFL football games over the last 10 years. Seattle-San Francisco is one of the highest-rated games in the history of the National Football League. You like violence. We all like violence. People yearn for violence. We are entertained by violence. So I want my football to be violent, but if I ran a team, I would dramatically adapt, and hopefully I would have adapted years ago. And You see this all the time, and anyone that's read any finance books knows I've never really had any money when a recession hits. Last time a recession hit, I was a graduate assistant at Fresno State in 2008, but since then, I've tried to do a decent job of saving some cash. Because anyone that's read any book on anyone that's accumulated any type of money or wealth will tell you the best time to buy anything is during a recession. It is the cheapest time to accumulate assets, whether it's a home, whether it's a business, whether it's whatever. It is bargain shopping for rich people. And honestly, you don't even need to be that rich. Just people that have cash available. But most people spend when times are good and then freak out when times are poor. As business people will say, it really is crazy. When a recession hits, everyone runs away from the the housing market. Yet in every other business, when there is a cheap sale, people run to it. And I think when you look at the NFL right now, everyone is freaking out about these rules. And the smart teams have adapted and have realized, you know what? Let's let's invest less on defense. Let's invest more on offense. If we got to pay our third wide receiver a little more money, okay. If we got to let Earl Thomas not pay him a third contract, that's the smart move. It's why the one, you know, the two people actually I will defend. The rules have not really impacted the lines, especially defensive ends. They can still be physical. It's why I'm pro paying Khalil Mack or Aaron Donald. But when it comes to safeties and when it comes to corners. They can't touch anyone anymore. So are they really worth the premium dollars? You could argue, probably not. You know who is worth a lot? And you know what my Twitter timeline told me all offseason? I can't believe they paid him that much money. Jarvis Landry for the Cleveland Browns. He's obviously been one of the stars of hard knocks. Not just because he never shuts up saying bless him, Because he can't be covered. Well, think about this. How many teams have a slot corner? It is smart to invest a lot of money in a slot wide receiver. You can't cover them in the NFL. Historically, it's been bad business to spend a lot of money on a guy like Jarvis Landry. Not an outside wide receiver. He doesn't really gain that many yards. He's not a huge threat. I'll I'll, I'll tell you what all Jarvis Landry does. He's catching about 400 balls through four years. And in this modern day NFL, he is a major asset. In this modern day NFL, hard-hitting safeties are irrelevant they're not worth any type money. and I think so many times and people in the league I know get this way, they get so negative. all they do is bitch and moan about the rules instead of seeing the big picture and adapting forever and I've had a front row seat now for multiple sweet teams. when everyone goes one way, Billy Bean goes the other way. It was originally with on base percentage. it was originally with guys that took a lot of pitches. then it's adapted. Into you know guys that now hit a lot of home runs, padding his bullpen. Billy Bean will whatever, whichever way the major league baseball is going, he's always two steps ahead. And when people are bitching and moaning, and no one could bitch and moan more than Billy because his team doesn't spend any money, he's actually pretty optimistic about everything. So when I think you've seen Bill Belichick has utilized tight ends and slot receivers forever. Especially the last five, six years as the rules have really changed. They, you can't cover these guys. You, you can't. And he really has spent less and less money on defense. How many times over the last several years, and I think most of us shook our head when Matt Patricia got a head job, how terrible is the Patriots' defense? You know what Bill realizes? It's an offensive league. I'm going to score more points than you. Now, sometimes it backfires, and it killed him. You know, in the Super Bowl, he couldn't get a stop, but he was still there. He was there for a reason. His team consistently scores a lot of points. They outscore the opponent. They've always figured out a way to, you know, outduel the Pittsburgh Steelers that have one of the better offenses in recent memory. They're also a good example. Their defense is pretty crappy. You know what they're good at, though? They got about seven wide receivers. This year, they're going to roll Antonio Brown, Juju Smith, and Washington, the kid from Oklahoma State. And you know what they're going to say? you may have one good corner, but we'll bet you big money you don't have two and for damn sure you're not going to have three. So unless you have an unreal defensive line, which let's face it, about five teams in the league do, you're not going to be able to cover us. Here's the other thing, and I think Atlanta's been pretty forward thinking on this. When everyone was still drafting bigger, stiffer linebackers, they adapted and got quicker linebackers. Everyone complained, complained and complained, and again, I'm not absolving myself from this because I do the same thing. And in a perfect world, when the recession hits, I'm going to try to be optimistic and let's go bargain shopping, but it's just a natural human reaction to be mad when bad things happen, when things go the wrong way. And for a lot of NFL people, including myself just as a fan, these rules have pissed me off. Maybe I should start looking at it differently. Like, hell, I'm going to tip my hat to the Pittsburgh Steelers because every year they're drafting a wide receiver in the second round. First off, they hit on a lot of wide receivers, and then they know when they got three or four wide and all the dudes are first or second round picks and blue chippers to go with Antonio Brown, you ain't covering us because, first off, the rules don't allow you to. And second off, there's just no way you're going to have enough talent, even if the rules did. So these teams that have been forward thinking and embraced the rules are the leaders in the pack right now. Everyone wants a quarterback, of course. It's a quarterback league, and you can't win anything without a quarterback. But once you get a quarterback, how do you build the team? And when you look at a team, and I've been as hard on these guys as anyone, they have, they lived in the past for way too long were the Seattle Seahawks. Their best players were not conducive to as the rules change. Like I like Richard Sherman. I respect Richard Sherman a lot. But his style of play, if they are going to be aggressive with the flags, it's going to be impossible for him to play. He's too physical of a player, which, again, I admire. It's the type player I love. But as these times change, he doesn't bring much value because all he wants to do is bear hug you at the line of scrimmage, which, you know, for years was looked upon as an awesome thing. If you could do it, you were a badass, and you were going to be a pro bowler. You know, you could basically not allow anyone to make any catches because you were mean-mugging them, not mean-mugging them, physically-mugging them down the, down the field. You know what they do now is they throw the, the cloth. The yellow flag is on the ground every single time that happens. So the, I, you're really going to see over these next several years, and I, I'm going to try to take a step back and not complain about every hit that gets flagged because it's just a waste of my energy. I'm going to spend more time watching what teams are thinking like Billy Bean. What teams have thought outside the box and take advantage of these rules. And whether they did it or they didn't, you know, whether they meant to or they didn't mean to, the Atlanta Falcons developed a defense that was all on speed. The days of, and I like this guy personally, he's, I'm a big fan. I've known him for a while. Bill Romanowski, you know, the old school, badass middle linebacker. Take on the fullback stack shed. Those days are over. Dunzo. Adios. Do you know what I want? I want a 230-pound linebacker that can run side to side. Because in this type of offense that you're going to see every week as a defensive coordinator or as a general manager, that's what you need to even have a chance to be semi-successful. There aren't going to be no such thing anymore as the 85 Bears or the early 2000 Ravens. The rules will not allow it. But if you have a defense that just can bend and not break and handle the, the rules... Or if you build an offense where you know what, we got four sweet wide receivers. I know for a fact you don't have the ability to cover me. I also and I think this is why you've seen the league, the running backs. I heard Kevin Clark of the Ringer on with Colin earlier this week and how the running back has really came back. And he made the point: well, it's not they've come back, but it's not because of running on the ground. Guys lead the league now in rushing with twelve hundred and fifty yards. You know, thirteen hundred yards max. It's about these guys having 70, 80, 90 catches because forever all the linebackers, Bill Romanowski style, could not cover runners out of the backfield. Now more and more as the Reuben Fosters of the world come into the league, the uh, you know the Deion Jones of the Atlanta Falcons, they can run with you. It's going to be harder and harder for running backs to consistently get 70, 80 catches. So I'm fascinated the way this league adapts. And the teams that spend less time bitching and moaning and more times going, okay, we'll we'll adapt, we'll bargain shop because I might be able to get a guy that the rest of the league hates in the third round instead of having to draft him in the first round, even though he's going to be one of my best players in a couple years. You know what? I'll trade you a mid-round pick and then break Jarvis Landry off. You know why? Because, really, I'm bargain shopping. I know for a fact no one in this league is going to be able to stop him. No one could stop him for the last four years playing with Ryan Tannehill. Imagine now where the rules are even more conducive for Jarvis Landry to have success. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I'm fascinated to watch the NFL this year to watch teams that don't spend time pouting about this and teams that spend times taking advantage of this. Let, let's get into the bills quarterback, Josh Allen. and he's kind of reminded me a little bit. When I was at Fresno State before I worked in the NFL, I was a graduate assistant. and the way they pay you is you're on the staff, but you're basically a student, you're going to graduate school. They pay you a scholarship check, no different than guys on the team. And I was fresh out of college, so I was close to a lot of players on the team, and I lived with a couple guys. One guy, hey, man, I, I do another podcast with him, and, and A.J. Riding, a buddy of mine that was coach on the basketball team. So I followed the basketball team really closely. In their first year, my first year there, they had a freshman named Paul George. He was there both the two years I was there. He was never even a first team. They were in the whack at the time at Fresno State. He was never even first team all whack. And I, I used to go to the rec center on campus, and it's like my pickup basketball prime, Play a lot of pickup hoops. He would show up sometimes and play just pickup hoops with the students. And a lot of guys on our football team, Derek Carr, used to go a lot. I mean, a lot of guys would just play pickup hoops. It was pretty competitive. And Paul would play, just show up, just to work on his game. And he, he wouldn't really dunk. He mainly just showed up to work on his jump shot, like all he'd do is shoot. Everyone loved him. High character guy, people rooted for him. But he, But he wasn't like a dominant player at all. But it was clear, like he had an NBA body. And then he decided to go pro after a sophomore year. And same with the guy, we had a guy on our football team, Ryan Matthews, also decided to go pro early. Ryan Matthews, just in terms of prospects, was a no doubt about it, no brainer, better prospect than Paul George, if they, you know, equivalent. One was a football player, one was a basketball player. Turns out Ryan, Ryan actually had a decent career, but never lived up to LT's replacement. And Paul... I mean, when he declared for the NBA draft, people thought he was crazy. Uh, And then he ended up going to the lottery, and Larry Bird picked him. And then a couple years later, he became one of the best players in the league. I would say everyone around the Fresno State program, uh, people that knew him, I I watched his career really close. I would never, ever have guessed that he would have turned out to be that good. Wasn't a great college player. uh, But the one thing I kind of take back from that situation is, he was a high character guy, he worked hard and he went to a great situation. He was around Larry Legend and pushed and he had the physical attributes. You know, he could he was 6-7 ended up growing, I think to like 6-8 or 6-9, could dunk, learned, you know, became a much better shooter, was a really good defensive player. Is now, you know, a borderline top 10, 12 player in the NBA. Well, Josh Allen, I you know, was kind of like an NBA prospect just because his film was shitty. He he was a terrible quarterback. I watched a couple of his games live last fall and just thought it was gross. But there was no disputing his size, uh, his Farvian arm strength. His physical attributes were like an NBA player. Just just raw, uh, untapped potential. But the problem for me, and I, I always struggle to wrap my head around this, and, and Paul didn't really have a major flaw like this. He just wasn't a very good player in terms of like hadn't dominated at a small level of competition like josh allen the problem was josh allen to me had a fundamental flaw he just couldn't complete passes well i had a buddy when i went to the scouting combine and we kicked off this podcast went out to dinner i mean all the nights it's basically like a drunk fest hanging out with my friends in the league and a couple of them one really close buddy was just telling me i think the guy's going to be a big time player he's like he's a high character guy he's really smart he hasn't even scratched the surface really liked him and this guy's doesn't miss so many players since, since I've known him. So I, I'm always in the back of my mind, like, you know, maybe I shouldn't go all in, but I was already all in, and I just wrote it. Not that I – and I don't regret it. But I'll say this. Sometimes you know right away, and this is where it doesn't necessarily, you know, parallel Paul George. Paul George had a rough first couple years. It wasn't, I think, till like the end of year two or year three that it kind of clicked, and then he ended up taking a jump and never looked back. In the second preseason game, my takeaway was – Oh my God, Josh Allen looks like Carson Wentz. And I- I've never been afraid to say I was wrong. I, I think that's why Colin likes me. I'm like I- I'm not afraid to have a strong opinions and say something, uh, especially when it comes to players. I mean, we're just talking about sports here. This is national security. But I, I-, I also don't say things if I don't believe it. I truly would not have drafted Josh Allen. Well, and, and I'm trying not to overreact to preseason, but listen, I- I've been... I, I did this for three years in the league, and ever since I've been in the media, I, I've been around the Niners and Raiders very closely, so just watching all their first-rounders and watching the teams they're playing, I, I got a pretty good idea of when what something looks like and when it's like, you know, I might be wrong on this one. I might be wrong on Josh Allen. Uh, I know it was the Browns. I know it was a second string, but just Google or go to Twitter and type in his name and watch some of the throws he made in that game. I, I tweeted out earlier this week, a pump fake throw he had on third and one. The defensive end was unblocked. He jumped in the air. Josh didn't even flinch. Pump faked and ran right around him and slid for the first down. It was like, oh my god, because uh, I, I just put like my Andy Reid hat on and I could see if he was watching him, he'd salivate. <laughs> you know, if John Gruden or Kyle Shanahan, like they would love that because I, I, I put my mind now watching Kyle very closely and. You know, being around Andy, I I know what they like. And it it was just, he, in that game against the Browns, just how accurate he was. His arm is just, I mean, he has an absolute howitzer. Well, if he's completing balls, even if it's not, you know, at like a 68% clip, the problem was in college, he was in like the mid to low 50s. If he can get to a low 60s because his arm's so powerful, he's going to make so many splash plays. That's what Kaepernick did earlier in his career, is hit balls. Now, Josh doesn't have Vernon Davis on his team, but Kaepernick had the ability to just miss a wheel route, miss a quick out route, and then hit Vernon Davis 90 yards down the field on a frozen rope. Josh Allen, to me, just again, through the preseason game, I I saw some rhythm and ability in his passing that were like, oh my, the the Bills got something here. Now, he's still a raw product, and I look at him closer to a basketball prospect than I do a football prospect, just because he's this raw Thule's player. And listen, Steve Cleveland, who was the head coach at Fresno State for Paul George, has never been a head coach since. And it's a little different, because I, I do think Carson Wentz's head coach at Wyoming is respected. He was Carson Wentz's coach at North Dakota State. They won championships. I do think he's a good coach. And maybe, you know, a lot of people made excuses for, Josh Allen that all of his talent left going into last year they you know I think he had three guys that make NFL rosters a couple receivers and a running back but it was just so ugly and, and I, I tried to be objective, but it, it'll I'll never forget the guy my buddy in the league telling me like I really like this guy and he's I've always held that in the back of my mind like this guy doesn't typically just say that on a, on a guy like this and he's like, just go watch a couple of these throws. And he, he was right. He had things in the bag that other guys just didn't have in the bag. And I and I look back, like Paul George just had the ability at 6'8", six, 6'9", six, being an elite athlete that just most guys even in an NBA draft didn't have in the bag. And if somehow you can mold it, and, you know, Brian Dayball, his resume as an NFL coordinator is not great. Maybe he really learned something from Nick Saban last year. I, I know this. I actually flipped on ESPN the other day, NFL Live, and they had like a behind-the-scenes of Sean McDermott. I worked with Sean McDermott for a year. I talked to him a little bit briefly at the Combine. He's a stud, man. I I mean, he he is going to be very, very good for Josh Allen. He mentored under Jim Johnson, Andy Reid forever, and then obviously Ron Rivera forever in Carolina. Like, he is a high-level, very smart, disciplined guy. Like, to me, he's the perfect guy. He's a defensive coach but just to be around Josh, the standard that he's going to demand on a day-in, day-out basis. Listen, it's as I'm recording this, the, the 22nd of, of August, I have gone all in on Josh Allen. I am prepared to change my opinion and might say right now, John, I'm giving you $1,000. If you had to bet right now, is Josh Allen going to be good or is he going to be bad? I clearly forever would have put it on bad. Right now, I think I'd change my, my bet. And I know Colin says this all the time, and it's, it's the wisest words I've ever heard in radio. Like, his opinion should be fluid. We're talking about sports. We get information. If I get information that I was wrong on Josh Allen and he's sweet, I'm not afraid to change. You know? Some players, they're well-established. Like, our opinions aren't changing. Aaron Rodgers, Kevin Durant, you know, whoever. They're just established. Young players are Fluid. You know, when you're talking about 21, 22, 23 years old, th- there are a lot of variables at play. And especially when you're talking about small school players. It's it's why most scouts and GMs do like... They'd rather recruit the Josh Allen version from Clemson or USC than have to mens- mess with the smaller school because there's so much unknown. Uh, and I'll be honest. I feel like I might look like an idiot on Josh Allen. And a lot of NFL draft Twitter is. But I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think... Most of NFL Draft Twitter knows what they're talking about. They told me Teddy Bridgewater was the number one overall pick, and then they told me Lamar Jackson was sweet. So I, I don't put that much credence in it. But I do think usually with these things, I'm not in the group think, but I, I was with everyone. Like I was like, yeah, I wouldn't touch Josh Allen. Uh, and so was everyone. And there were very, very small, you know, small amount of people that were banging the drum on the hill and I, right now, if I was a betting man, I think they're going to look pretty smart, because to me, Josh Allen, you know, I don't know if they will ever be, Paul George became an elite player, but I'll say this, I I think Josh Allen's got a chance to be a pretty good NFL quarterback. I I don't know if everyone had to watch this, because I don't blame people for watching uh, not that much preseason games. I, I was at a wedding last weekend, and when the Niner came came on live, I, I was the wedding was going on, but I had a chance when I was getting ready to watch the Raider, the Rams game, and they're, they're playing week one. I, I think one total starter between the two teams played. I mean, it was like, it was a joke. I, I flipped it off. And I naturally, most people are like, God, you must love the third and fourth quarter. No, I'm, unless you have a rookie quarterback in that I want to watch, I turn the television. I, I'm not. I hated that when I worked in the NFL. I can't stand it any, you know, I hate it even more now. But I will watch when your starters are in because I, I, it's basically like an NFL game. So I flipped on the Texans and the 49ers. Obviously, wanted to see how Jimmy played. Also, Deshaun. It's just a good game. Sean looked awesome. He's an excellent, I mean, he's, he's big time. That's going to haunt maybe Chicago Bears and Ryan Pace for a long time. But Jimmy Garoppolo. And listen, I, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist on this. I know a lot's come out in the last year. I, I, I truly believe that uh, you know it, it's kind of the you know JFK type you know chap acquitted Ted Kennedy type conspiracy theory in one of the great ones we've had in recent memory in the NFL with Belichick, Brady, and Garoppolo. And, and I truly believed in my core. I don't know if this will ever come out or we'll ever get all the details. That Brady went behind Belichick's back and forced the hoodie to get rid of him. Because Brady knew, deep down, that Belichick's resume speaks for itself. He gets rid of everyone. Now, it's obviously a lot harder to get rid of Tom, but there was a time clock on this. Because Jimmy was going to be a free agent. And Belichick never, ever, doesn't get value for guys. So if he had been planning on trading Jimmy, he would have traded him the year before he wouldn't have waited to the last minute when his value wasn't that great because he was about to be a free agent. So in my gut, to my core, I'll always believe this, whether I'm right or wrong, And unless Bill Belichick, he'd probably be the only guy because I wouldn't believe Kraft or Brady. If Bill told me that this just, you know, if we were having beers and we were friends and I could trust him, uh, not that that'll probably ever happen, and he told me that that didn't happen, then I would say, okay, maybe I'm wrong. And then Brady went behind his back and forced Jimmy out of there. Because it just made no sense. I, I think Bill had up in his mind that he was going to trade Brady this offseason. You know, unless they won the Super Bowl and then he just deal with it. But I, I think he was poised to trade Brady. Brady knew it and made him get rid of Garoppolo. Why? Because Bill Belichick had his Steve Young. And the thing is, it's a little different than, you know, Joe Montana. I was so young when that situation played out, but... You know, you watch highlights on YouTube, and anyone older listening to this podcast that lived it—I mean, they would like split reps in games, and one guy would play a quarter, one guy would start for a couple games, and flip flop. It was nothing. I mean, it, it wouldn't—you wouldn't even be able to do that now with a player of Joe Montana's level. It just—it wouldn't be possible in this day and age. But one reason, and growing up in Northern California, I grew up more—much more on Steve Young than Joe Montana. Because I was born in 1984. So when I was alive, Steve Young was kicking ass and taking names with the 49ers. But the 49ers dynasty and just dominance in the league, even though Steve only officially won one Super Bowl, but they they kept winning for 10-plus years when he was the starter, kept going because of him. And I I think the New England Patriots, the, the end is in sight. Brady's 41 years old. Now, I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff like Peyton Manning did physically because his arm's still in great strength and he looks fantastic. But he's just bound to get hurt. He Again, let me repeat. He's 41 years old. 41. I, I remember four or five years ago before Kobe's body just just took a crap on him most people thought, you know what, Kobe's going to be able to play till he's in his early 40s. Why? Because he's a good jump shooter, and he'll eventually be able to become a role player. Now, really, when you take a step back, say that out loud, Kobe Bryant going to become a role player probably wasn't realistic. But it, it was, <clears throat> in theory, it made a lot of sense. He could really, And then it just ended. I think it kind of happened with Peyton Manning. All of a sudden, it was like, whoa, it's over. I, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen with Brady. But eventually, whether that's this year, whether it's, it's just going to end but for a bad injury. It's just, it's going to happen. In the history of the league, it always happens that way. And they would have been equipped. Really, they would have been equipped this offseason to trade Brady. It would have been one of the crazier trades that ever happened. But again, Joe Montana was once traded. Now, he wasn't playing at the level of Tom Brady. And the New England Patriot dynasty would have lasted for another 10 years. Because I got news for everyone. Like, throw on the first two drives of the Houston Texan game. I know it's the preseason, but all the starters were in. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a top-five quarterback. He is a superstar. The only thing, and let me repeat, only thing that's going to get in his way of becoming a star in this league, a star in this league, is health. Because if he stays healthy, he's going to dominate. I also got news for everyone. And, and everyone b- has been blowing the Rams for the last you know, 12 months. I, I, I've hesitated a little. I think the roster is really good on paper. And I like this guy. Don't get me wrong. I I root for this guy. I I grew up going to Cal football games. If you go to play football or basketball at Cal, I root for you. It's just a natural reaction in my body. So I am a Jared Goff fan. Met him a couple times. I I, I, I just root for people from Northern California in general, let alone if you go to Cal. But him and Jimmy Garoppolo aren't even in the same conversation as players. And I don't know if Jared's going to have, because Jimmy's a much better athlete, ever have the physical attributes to be as good as Jimmy. Now, Jimmy's not as good as Russell Wilson yet, but I think he has that level to be that, you know, on that tier. Again, a top five player. This is what Belichick had. Belichick knew it and just gave him away to Kyle Shanahan. Sometimes I think, and I was thinking this when I, because, again, I was at the wedding and I couldn't watch the game, and I just flip it on my computer, and I'm watching this drive thinking, oh, my God. How did they get this guy? This is insane. You know, typically when a guy like that is moved, it's usually like a Matt Schaub, you know, a backup that was behind, you know, a good starter, like a Mike Vick or whatever, has some ability, a Kevin Cobb, but really he was a backup for a reason. Like there's one reason Jimmy Garoppolo was the backup. The starter was Tom Brady. He would have started in like 28 different places. He is so freaking good. And I feel very, very confident saying this. Like, it's just wild how good he is. Like, there was no question. The Niners did not overpay. Like, they paid. If anything, they underpaid. Because if he would have been a free agent, if he would have actually hit the market, and like Kirk Cousins, had multiple people bidding on his services, he would have got more money than Kirk Cousins. He is a better player than Kirk Cousins. The best thing that ever happened to Kyle Shanahan was that, again, my conspiracy theory, Brady went behind Belichick's back, forced Kraft to trade him. Belichick just pissed off, Likes really likes Kyle. For I mean, not for some reason. Bill just really respects Kyle because Bill really liked Kyle's dad, Mike. Mike used to give him trouble in the playoffs. And then I think, obviously, they played in the Super Bowl, and Bill's like, God, this guy can really coach. The 49ers don't like to admit it, but I got news for him as fact. Gifted the 49ers Jimmy Garoppolo for a second. For a second round pick. And even Kyle has admitted he was a little hesitant. Because he was schmitten over Kirk Cousins. And John Lynch and Adam Peters. Some of the guys in the organization I think kind of talked him out of it. And ultimately he made the right decision for the big picture football team. But even once they got him. He was hesitant to kind of throw him in. And in fairness. Hard offense to learn. Even Matt Ryan says it takes a while. Jimmy came in. Not only learned enough of the offense. Took a 1-9 team. Now, granted, it's one of the better 1-9 teams that we've seen in recent memory. They lost, like, six of the nine games by under four points. But still, they were 1-9. Parcells, famous line, you are what your record says you are. They, they, were, they earned that 1-9. And then won the last five games. Like, this guy, I, 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 sometimes I just take a step back and go, I don't even know what to say. I mean, this is wild. You know, in my, my comp is, and he had a throw to Marquise Goodwin down the sideline. And it looked exactly like him. Tony Romo in 2014 was a second-team All-Pro. It was his best season as a NFL football player. It was unreal. Remember, the Cowboys were really good. I think that was the year that Dez might have dropped the ball. Uh, I mean, didn't drop the ball. The ball hit the ground in this stupid rule. But Tony Romo, in Tony Romo's prime, was excellent. I know he had some terrible losses. But he was a really, really good player. I I think Jimmy Garoppolo, my comp, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a better version and have a similar style to what Tony Romo was. And a lot of that has to do with he's just in a better situation in terms of with an offensive mind. Like Kyle and him is the perfect scenario. Sometimes people are just lucky. You know, Steve Young, Bill Walsh wanted him, you know, when no one really else did. And it just changed the dynamic of his career. Bill Belichick could have traded Jimmy Garoppolo to basically anyone. You know, could have traded him to Cleveland Browns. J- Jimmy wasn't in control of that. Now, he would have been a free agent, but the NFL ain't the NBA. They got this thing called the franchise tag. He would have been stuck. Instead, he got gifted to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, who's turned out to be a really good GM, just a high-level guy, and just an organization that's kind of got their shit together now. And, you know, not just again, they're not the Cleveland Browns. They're the San Francisco 49ers. That, don't get it twisted. They are the biggest brand on the West Coast, and they ain't even close. There really isn't any competition. Now, granted, the Northeast with the NFC East and the Patriots and then you know the Cowboys are in the middle of America, but they're in that division, are the most important for the TV properties. But there's a reason the moment the Niners sniff being relevant, the NFL gives them five national television games. They move the needle. So I, I, it's just I don't even know what to say beside it's just crazy the way it all played out. And if you're still questioning why they gave him all that money, don't. Because the kid is, he's the 49er, Steve Young. Even though they didn't have a Joe Montana, they had Brian Hoyer. Okay, let's get into uh, what I like to say is my favorite segment of the podcast. The Mittelkoff Mailbag. Mittelkoff mailbag. Uh, if you go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, in the review section, leave in your questions. You can also slide up into my DMs on Instagram at John Middlecoff, and I will answer those for you during this session. I only got a couple more on iTunes, so keep coming in. You can also go on on Instagram. I think a lot of you guys like doing that. So let's, uh, let's get to the first question here. Let's see if I can find it. Okay, two-parter. I've been a Bears fan since I was a kid a long time ago. I know you have a history with Matt Nagy. Do you have any insight into what you foresee for the first year. Okay, let me answer that first part, and then I'll answer the second part. I mean, no insight beside what we've seen. I think Matt Nagy's an excellent coach. I think he has an excellent coaching staff. Uh, the division's really hard, so it's, it's just going to be difficult. Uh, I actually liked Mitch Trubisky a lot as an NFL prospect. I, I didn't love him at number two overall, but I definitely thought he was a first-rounder. And if he had gone back to school and had another year like he did you know, in his one year starting, you know, he probably would have been a top 10 pick. It's just, it was just a very, very bold move. Uh, But they do have now have an offensive coach that has a very good understanding of how to intermix a lot of college concepts. I mean, let's face it. I mean, is there there a better quarterback coach than Andy Reid in in the NFL? And and Matt Nagy has been his right-hand man and just learned really had a front row seat, you know, for the last eight, nine years. So I think Matt, and Matt Nagy is a quarterback at heart. Played in college, played in the AFL for a long time. I, you know, won a couple of AFL championships. He's just a quarterback. Like he he thinks like a quarterback. So I I think Mitch is couldn't ask for a better situation to get an offensive coach that thinks like a quarterback, learn under Andy Reid. And just understand understands how to you know mix scheme to to help his co- his offenses and offensive personnel and specifically his quarterback uh, excel. Let's get to the second part and second. Why is it that people talk about pass rushers? They seem to forget about a beast named Joey Bosa. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it probably hurts that he plays for the San Diego Chargers. I know they're in Los Angeles, but I refuse to call them the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, they're they're pretty irrelevant in Southern California. They've kind of flopped in a, in a bunch of big games. That's not Joey's fault. But if you put Joey Bosa, you know, on the 49ers, on the Cowboys, just <laughs> the Saints, I don't know, just any major team, I, I think we would if put on the Rams – he would definitely be talked about more. He was probably, which this is pretty crazy because he was drafted in the top five, more famous in college at Ohio State. Ohio State's much more popular and I would imagine has way more fans, not even close than the San Diego Chargers. I mean, I, I don't know how the San Diego Chargers, again, I know they're in Los Angeles, are going to function in LA. Uh, they're a tenant for Cronky. They they just have no fans. I got the Dodger game on in the background right now. I mean, they're obviously, it's an, it's a Laker town. It's a USC football town. It's a Dodger town. They're learning to like the Rams. I think Chip Kelly and the UCLA Bruins, which are not nearly as big as the USC Trojans, are so much bigger than the Chargers. I don't know, man. I I just don't see it. I mean, I live in a two-team market for the time being, And if the Raiders would have had the financial means, they could have hung here. Like, there are are enough Raider fans. Football's big enough here. Uh, I just can't ever see anyone giving a shit about the Chargers, to be honest with you. So I I think that's, you know, one of the big issues with Joey Bosa. Okay, Uh, let's get to this question. What if Jerry Jones was Jimmy Haslam? I like where this is going. I'm thinking that if Jerry Jones was the CEO of a company in which more than a dozen employees were convicted of conspiracy to commit fraud, that scandal would have led national news. I'd agree. Uh, definitely would have been a top two or three news you know, subject. I'm not saying Brown's owner, Jimmy Haslam, knew of it. Not saying he's a criminal. But between his oversight of Flying J and his meddling involves football, he's not the guy I'd want to own my team to create a culture of success. I'd agree. Ooh. Then I heard Mike Lombardi say that he was the Browns GM and didn't have any control over personnel. I'm glad I'm not a Browns fan. How is Jimmy Haslam viewed around the league? I think he's viewed around the league like exactly you described him. Not necessarily a criminal, but just a kind of a clown. I think the Flying J thing is, like, how did that just get washed away? I mean, we know how it got washed away. Jimmy Haslam has unlimited money. When you have unlimited money, you can pay people to keep their mouths shut. But the thing that really bothers me about the, you know... I forget a lot about it, but I read a lot about it originally. Is they kind of screwed the working man. You know, they, they screwed the truck drivers. It was pretty fra- they They committed white collar crimes. And, and to me, like, obviously murderers, pedophiles, rapists are the worst. I mean, they, they are just, they disgust everyone. I mean, 100% people beside rapists, murderers, or pedophiles all agree that those are the lowest level scum of the earth. But to me, the Bernie Madoff level guys, and whoever was in charge of this at Flying J, that that screw over the working man, that are multimillionaires, they're they're pretty much the scum of the earth as well. And when you when you read into Flying J, like it was a pass down throughout his family, uh, the, the I don't know something about the Haslums, like they've pulled this off in the South, created this dynasty of wealth. Like would that? I, I live in the in California. Like, could they pull it off out here? Doubt it. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I've never thought Jimmy Haslam was that impressive. I actually always thought Jimmy Haslam was kind of a clown. Uh, born into his wealth, it's not like he started the Flying J from from scratch. I, I I would agree. Like, to me, Jerry Jones. And listen, in business, you have to do shady stuff to make success. But the one thing that's been pretty consistent with Jerry Jones, like, he's a tough businessman to deal with. But I've never ever got the vibe and and no one's ever come out that he's like out to screw the common guy and I've honestly never looked at Jimmy Haslam the same uh it just I find it despicable that he even potentially listen when you're the CEO of the company you run the company you own the company it's on your watch it's like if something happens to a football team like that's on the head coach like I'm sorry if Jimmy Haslam didn't I, I always struggle with Now, he might not have known every detail. Anyone that's known people that ran companies, hell, smaller companies. Things go on that you don't know about. I I get it. But this one, I don't know, man. I I find it pretty hard to believe. I think Jimmy Haslam is just your classic Southern, I mean, generation of generation worth hundreds of millions of dollars, never done a damn thing, somehow runs Tennessee Vol football, tried to run that bad boy in the ground, forced them to get Butch Jones, then wanted them to get, you know, uh, Greg Schiano. that when Urban Meyer got in trouble, they didn't even elevate to become the head coach. Yeah, I'm with you. I, he, I can't imagine being a Browns fan. I, I really can't because I, just having him as the owner would just make me sick. Pretty good one. Kind of a unique question. Middlecoff mailbag uh, submission from Jeff. First off, I like the podcast like hearing your takes on Industry Insider and the NFL. Here's my question. How important, this is a fascinating question, how important is quote unquote salesmanship when it comes to being a successful personnel guy at any level? I'm a sales professional myself, so I've seen the value in my own industry. If you're an excellent engineer but can't sell your ideas to management, you're really not going to be successful as say an average above average engineer that can sell. I completely agree uh I, I would say this in my experience in a draft room if you want a player or like a player obviously if you're not the decision maker it's not ultimately your decision but if you could sell and I, listen I've seen this I run podcasts I do things on Periscope now i sell advertisements myself you got to hustle <laughs> you know when you're se- i'm selling myself I've become pretty successful at it uh, and hopefully, only sniffing the success that will one day come. But it takes energy and effort. The one thing I struggled with when I was in the NFL because I was so young is really pounding the. I used to remember Howie Roseman was like, stand up for your players. Well, it's hard. It was hard for me at like 25, 26 years old to like call out Lewis Riddick or Howie about a player I really liked. It, it can be intimidating. It's why a lot of draft rooms are led by older people, even if you have a younger draft room, like guys that have been around the league for a while. But from what I witnessed, and Lewis Riddick was really good at this, Ryan Grigson was good at this, but he was wrong on the players. Uh, And I've seen Brett Veach was really good at this, is they could stand up for the players they believed in. And when they really believed in a player, let's just say, I'll use an example here. Brett Veach loved Fletcher Cox. I also know Brett loved Shady McCoy and Deshaun Jackson, but I wasn't in the draft room for those. I saw Brett, Brett pounding the table for Fletcher Cox. Loved him. And wouldn't stop talking about him for six months. So eventually, you just he just sells you on his energy. And I, I'm a big believer, and I, I know a lot of people listening are in sales jobs, and I, I would imagine the best way to sell is just by being relentless. If you just ask the same person something over and over and over and over. Eventually, he'll crack. He might give you a yes, but he'll at least give you a maybe. Now, Fletcher is probably a bad example because he was semi-easy to sell because he was an elite prospect, even if you were on the fence about him. Like He was a legit top 15 player. But ultimately, point is that in a draft room, the best guys I think they really come up, John Dorsey, John Schneider, uh, Brett Veach, uh, Adam Peters for the Niners, who's John Lynch's right hand guy. They have the conviction because the confident come confidence in their conviction comes from how much work they do, you know, on a player over the years. And I'm just talking draft, and they feel confident standing up in a draft room and you know using the term pounding the table or standing on the table, but really just standing up and, and be- saying what they believe in. Now again your boss might not always agree with you and might not always do what you want. But here's the other way that I think salesmen, I'm sure that what you're listening to and what NFL personnel guys that have come up really can make their hay. When you sell your boss on something and the boss ultimately says no or they go a different direction, but what you sold them on, and in the example of this, the NFL, that player goes somewhere else and kicks ass, well, that happens a lot for personnel guys. So they can go, God, you know, later their GM realizes I should start listening to him because he's right the majority of the time. No different if a salesman says, we should we should acquire this business and this business. And then they blow up, your boss goes, God, he, he was right. And so I think as many times you hit on a player, but often when you sell a player that you don't get or sell a business that you don't get, and then that becomes you know, good for someone else, that really opens people's eyes. I I honestly think your eyes are open in life much more of the things you don't get and thought about doing than the things that you actually end up doing. Because you're obviously, whenever you go, you know, think about like that house you didn't buy, uh, that girl you didn't ask out, whatever, any situation, that, that job you ended up not interviewing for or declined, you always kind of, anyone worth their salt to me always kind of monitors stuff like that just forever, even if things go really well, you know. Even if you, you know, meet your future wife, you're still kind of creep on that girl, you know, on Instagram. See, so like, how's she looking, you know? Or, you know, if that, if that company offered you some stock options and then they go public, you're like, damn, I would have been pretty rich, you know. If if, if we would have drafted so and so in the second round, I pounded the table for Juju Smith. Now he's with the Steelers, catching ninety balls a year. So I, salesmanship is huge. Uh, if you can, I went to business school. If you can sell, you always have a job, and that's as an NFL scout. That's as an engineer. That's you know, as a CEO of a four to five hundred company. And to me, it doesn't really matter. I, I think it's big, but to it, it does separate yourself. At, at least in pro football, you got to be right. You know, you you got to know what you're talking about, and, and if you do, if you're constantly selling the right people, th- then I think you're going to be in pretty good shape. Uh, appreciate everyone listening. I, I got a bunch more DMs in my Instagram. You can still leave DMs, not DMs, but reviews on uh, iTunes, and I will eventually get to them. I appreciate everyone listening. Football season is right around the corner. We're going to get this bad boy going. Thanks for listening. John Middlecock, 3 and Out, in the Colin Coward Podcast Network.
0: Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.